You are listening to the weekly message from Mount Helena Community Church. Celebration services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Gateway Center. Or join us live online at www.mounthelena.cc. Happy Father's Day to you. So, um, I have a friend of mine that I met uh, about a year ago, I think. And uh, I was thinking about him this morning because I like getting to know new people and I like it when the relationship progresses past all the, you know, the polite stuff. And as you start to learn what makes people tick and what annoys these people. And um, so I found out his name is Justin. And I mean, I knew that, but then, yeah. So I found out that one of the things that really um, Justin and I differ on is our appreciation for a good dad joke. He, uh, he absolutely disdains them. I mean, he gets, he gets pretty offended. I, I'm going to say offended when, when we do the dad jokes. Have you seen this trend online? Hashtag dad jokes. Have you seen this? No? Oh, you guys are in for a treat. I am in the right crowd this morning. So um, what's a dad joke, you ask? Appreciate that. So I was, with, I was out to lunch with another friend of mine. And this guy's a pretty proud individual, and he said to me, he's like, you know, he says, onion is the only food that makes me cry. So I threw a coconut at his face. (laughs) Anybody know what uh, Forrest Gump's computer password is? One Forrest one? (laughs) See, these are good. Hey, anybody know why dinosaurs can't clap? Because they're dead. And one more? One more? Okay, one more dad joke. All right. This side really does not like the dad jokes. I'm just telling you right now. What did the caveman's cat say when he got injured? Me, ow. <laughs> Hashtag dad jokes. You know, feel free to use those. I don't have copyright over any of them. I had a fifth one there, but it, it wasn't as strong. So you don't want to hear that, right? Really? So my wife and I, we were, we were watching, uh, we watched three movies last night back to back. I was fortunate because I was the one facing the TV. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Happy Father's Day. You're in the right place. Okay, so Jason is correct. We are in the middle of a series. JR started us on a series two weeks ago. We heard from the South African team last week. So what I want you to do, uh, I want you to think back to the last time you wrote a letter. Now, I don't mean an email, and I don't mean a Facebook message. I mean a pen and paper letter. When was the last time that you actually wrote a letter? If I think back, and if I answer my own question, um, one letter stands out. And actually, it was, a, it was a series of three letters. These three letters were written to um, all the same person, and they were all a little bit different, but they all had the same intent. My intent in writing these letters to this person was to um, let this person know of the current situation and to possibly persuade this person to a new situation. 16 or 17 years ago, um, because I can't remember the exact date, but I wrote a series of three letters to a girl named Leslie. And within each of these three letters, 
Um, I, I mean, I, I literally poured over the words on each letter, kind of pouring my heart out. And what I was doing is I was asking her out in each of these letters. Um, so you might say, wow, that's, that's, really, that's really great. You wrote three letters. You had a lot to say. No, I didn't. I didn't have a lot to say. The problem was is that the, at the end of every letter, it was a, there was the ask. There was like, hey, you want to get something going here? And she said no every single time. So I had to write another letter, and I had to write another letter. And you guys, I even put, I quoted James. I quoted the New Testament. If any of you lack wisdom, ask. And she still said no. So I'm pretty sure God is going to ask her about that when she gets up there. So those letters to me were a big deal uh, at that point. And you know, I had in a, a specific set of expectations and agenda, and it was so important that you guys, an email would not do at that time, and a text message would not do, and a Facebook message would not do. I mean, truth be told, this is going to shock some of you guys. Hold on. When I wrote those three letters, we did not have Facebook, and we did not have text messages. I know. How did we survive? We got through it. We did just fine. But I wrote those three letters with a specific intent and a specific agenda. And I knew that I had to write a letter. It had to be a letter. And it was, it was a big deal. So two weeks, JR started uh, us in a series called Free. And what we're doing is, through this series, we are looking at the content of a letter. That's what we're literally doing, is we're looking at somebody's letter. It was a letter that somebody wrote to a very specific group of people with a very specific intent and agenda. So the name of this guy that wrote this letter, his name was originally Saul. And let me tell you about this guy. He has quite a story. If you've never heard his story, you know, he lived a long time ago. And one of the things he's most famous for is he's famous for killing Christians, literally. He's famous for persecuting the early church. So you might ask yourself, why are we spending all this time to go through one of his letters? Well, Saul's story doesn't end with him persecuting the church. What happens to Saul is he has a, a pretty dramatic encounter with God. And so dramatic, in fact, that he actually, his identity changes. His name changes from Saul to Paul. And Paul is the guy that you probably heard of. He's written, J.R. referenced him a couple weeks ago, he's written two-thirds of what we consider the New Testament today. Again, we, we call these books. So we're, I'm gonna, in a little bit, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Galatians. But you have to understand Men put these in the New Testament and called them books. These were not books originally. These were literal letters. This was a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Galatia. So um, today we're gonna we're gonna end up we're gonna continue looking at the book of Galatians. And J.R. already hit chapters one and two. Again, Paul didn't write his letters in chapters. Men added the chapters and the verses later on. This was all just one big letter. So we added them not we at Mount Helena, men before us added those for easy reference. So we're going to look at chapter 3. Um, what I want, to, I want to give you a little bit of context. In case you weren't here for chapters 1 and 2, I want to give you a little bit of context here because what we've seen so far in Galatians, what we've seen so far in chapters 1 and 2 is that Paul is writing to a group of men and women, and you can tell when he writes this letter, when we get to snoop in on somebody's letter, you can tell that he really loved this group of people. He really loved this, this group of men and women, but somewhere along the way, 
this group of men and women that he really loved, they got off track. And Paul is writing a letter to them to, the only way I can describe it is these guys were headed towards a danger zone. And Paul is writing this letter to say, hey, I need to address some things before you get too far off track. And so that's why he's writing this letter. So the beginning of the letter, particularly in chapter one, as we've seen, it starts out, he calls them brothers. He says, brothers, he's very encouraging, very warm, very uplifting. But chapter three is going to take a bit of a different tone. Chapter three is going to get a little bit more confrontational. You're going to see Paul getting. And before we go into the text, I want to point something out, because this is really important for our culture today. Um, At first glance, when we're going to read these verses coming up, you might think, dang, man, that's harsh. And didn't you just say that Paul loved this group of men and women? But because, yes, you're right, it is going to get harsh here in a second, because we're going to see some some language from back then was like, wow, Paul, calm down. But here's the thing in our modern-day culture that I think we're losing a little bit. As we read the letter that he wrote this group of people, you might say, well, why are we spending time on this? Is this applicable to me today? Yes, it is. Because there's a part of our culture that I think we're losing, and the part is we're losing the honor, and yes, it is an honor. We're losing the honor of having people in our lives that are brave enough to be harsh with us. We are losing that honor. I'm part of a group of guys that we meet once a week for breakfast, and this past week, Oh man, I really enjoyed the conversation we had. I thought about it all day because we began talking about our relationships and we began talking about our relationships as men and just as human beings. And um, specifically, we were talking about the verse in Proverbs where the author writes, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. And um, the discussion was, does that happen anymore? Like in our modern day culture, Does that happen anymore, number one? And number two, if you were to take it a step further, does anybody want that anymore? Does anybody want their their iron to be sharpened? And I made the observation that something that's been going around in my spirit for the last several months is, I just told the guys, I said, I, I, I think what's happening is that I know that that we're all busy and everything, but I I feel like what's been happening to culture lately is we are on kind of a highlight reel basis with one another. And that when we get together, you know, somebody will inevitably ask, hey, what's new? And what they're asking is, what has been going on since the last time I saw you? Give me the highlights. Give me the cliff notes of what's been going on in your life. And I get that, you know? I say, hey, if you're getting getting together with people and catching up, that's great. But at the center of my being, this is what I want. I want... A, it's probably going to be a small group, but I want a group of people that know me well enough to know the details and the intricacies of my life that they don't have to ask what's new because they already know what's new. They're asking about details of my life. That is where the iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another, is that I want us as a group of people, I want us to know one another so well that I don't have to ask you what's new because I know what's new. I know what's going on in your life so that when you walk in that door, I can literally see on your face what's going on. And as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, I want a group of people that I can see when you're dull. 
you don't have to tell me, hey, I'm feeling down today. I can see it. And likewise, I want to be the type of person that I don't, I don't put up a mask. I don't hide. I say, you know what? If, life, if life's bad and if I'm having a bad day, you're going to see it right here. And I want you to be able to say, hey, I know you're having a bad day. And see, I, ah, there, there has to be more than, than the highlight reel. And see, that's what I think Paul, that's the posture that Paul was writing from. When he wrote the book of Galatians, he was writing to a group of people that he loved. He knew what was going on in their life. He was, that, that iron was sharpening iron. So when he wrote this letter that you're going to see in just a little bit, when he wrote this, he wasn't saying, hey, how's the church going that I planted? I kind of forgot about you guys. Um, give me the financials and let me know, send me a newsletter. No. His iron was sharpening iron and he knew them well enough to know what was going on. And so when we see some harshness, that harshness is out of love. I really believe that. That harshness was out of love. And that's what I think we're losing in our culture. Because I think our culture would say, when we see somebody, particularly a friend that we have a relationship with, when we see their face downcast, we say, you know what? He's got a lot going on. Uh, I don't want to get in his business, and I'm, just, I'm not going to ask. You guys, that, that's so unloving. That's so unloving. I, I understand the mentality, but our former senior pastor, his wife, Margaret Acey, says that every person has two basic instincts, to love and to be loved. And so when we see somebody that's headed toward destruction, when we know that they're on a path that's headed toward destruction, the most unloving thing that we can do is not intervene. The most unloving thing that we can do is stand aside and do nothing. So that's, I believe, that's the posture that Paul is writing from. Paul is saying, hey, you guys, I love you. I planted the church there. I brought this group of people together, and I know what's going on, and I'm not going to do nothing. I'm going to intervene. So we ready to, we ready to see this? All right, so let's start chapter 3, verse 1. And he's not pulling any punches right away. Oh, foolish Galatians. Chapter 1, they were brothers. Chapter 1 was all warm and fuzzy, but now they're fools. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This is a guy that he's going right for it. Such interesting language here, even in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What I did is I, I looked at the original language because I wanted to understand his tone. I wanted to understand if, what the original author was meaning. And the idea here is who has put a spell on you? That's what the original language is communicating. Who has put a spell on you? It's like something in their perspective changed and it's off and they can't see it. They just, they don't know what's going on. They can't see it. It's like a friend of mine in high school. She, she had a crush on this guy and man, everybody knew that he was bad news. I mean, this guy was grade A loser and everybody knew it. Everybody knew he was just bad, bad news. But this girl, she... She was interested in him, and her blinders were just set. She had just this focus on this guy. And so Paul's asking that. He's saying, who's bewitched you? Wake up. Who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? He goes on to say, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the first time I read that, I wondered, um, I, I just had some thoughts, because Galatia is modern-day Turkey, and Paul 
planted this church in Galatia. So he's sending this letter to a church that he planted. So I started to wonder, I'm like, the verse says, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. And I said, did the people in Galatia see Jesus crucified? The answer is no. Nobody in Galatia, modern day Turkey, actually saw Jesus get crucified. I believe what Paul is saying is that when they heard the gospel, when they heard the basic message of the gospel, that Christ came to atone for your sins, when they heard and was presented with the gospel, particularly the crucifixion part, particularly Christ's crucifixion, the thing that, that was the thing that held it all together was the crucifixion. See, Paul was just saying, even in these couple of verses, Paul was saying this. He's saying that your salvation was not going to be built on anything other than Christ's crucifixion. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing you can't do. It's a free gift. See, that's how they became Christ followers. That's what he was saying. He's saying by believing that Christ died for your sins and rose again, that's how you became a Christ follower. So Paul's saying here, he's saying, that's what you've heard. That's the gospel you were presented with. But see, now you're bewitched. Now there's this spell over you and you're not seeing it because you're starting to believe, and here's kind of the danger zone, you're starting to believe that there's another way that you can be saved. There's another way other than the gospel that you can be saved. And because you're starting to believe that, you're becoming fools. That's what he's saying, even in these couple of verses. All that's in verse 1. That's the start of his, in chapter 3. So let's look at, let's go on. Verse 2 to 3. He says this, he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? It's a great question. Here's that word again. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So in a sentence, you know what Paul's asking them? He's asking them this. He's saying, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? It's like he's you can picture them reading this letter and it's Paul is trying to communicate to him. He's saying, where were you when this whole thing began? Where were you when this whole thing began? He was asking a question, you guys, that's so relevant to us even today. It's a question you can ask yourself today. Where were you when Christ found you? Where were you when Christ found you? Me, if I were to answer that question, I was not raised in the church. I didn't go to church growing up. Christ found me when I was 21. And one of the things that I most love about my story is that there were a few parts of my personality that even I didn't like, right? There are a few parts of my personality that, you know, I tried to change, tried to stop doing it, and I was just like, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. This is important for you to hear. When Christ found me, none of that got cleaned up before he accepted me. That's important. None of that stuff got cleaned up before he accepted me. I accepted Christ and a couple of those things instantly stopped. A couple of those bad habits I had instantly stopped. April 18th, 1999, done. Didn't deal with any of that anymore. That was a supernatural thing that happened. So what Paul is saying here, verse 3 again, he's saying, after beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? For those of you in Christ this morning, you started by means of the Spirit. 
When Christ saved you, it was a supernatural transaction that happened. That's what it was, a supernatural transaction. And another letter in the New Testament, Thessalonians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. But see, the problem was, and this is, this is the danger zone again that Paul was trying to get at, is the Galatians, they were, I, you almost can't fathom this today, but they were going against the gospel because there were some teachers among them that were trying to teach that they had to get back to the law to try to earn favor with God by keeping every part of the law. And see, you guys, the problem with that is that was never the purpose of the law, ever. The purpose of the law, and when I say the law, let me clarify that, the Old Testament, the law. Before Christ came, we were given a law. The, the purpose of the law, the law was designed to give people a list of rules. Sorry, let me say that again. The law was not designed to give people a list of rules by which they could earn their salvation. That was never the design of the law. The law served to show people how far short of God's standards they fell. You cannot earn your salvation through the law. Okay? See, what, see what's happening here? But what's happening in Galatia is where people were being bewitched. They had this, they had this, their perspective was not right, and they were listening to these teachers saying, no, you have to follow every letter of the law. So here's the question that Paul's asking. Even in these first couple verses, he's saying, if you were saved, if you started with Christ, and if you started with the Spirit, why then would you go back to the law that couldn't save you in the first place? That's a great question. If you started with Christ, and it's a great question for us even today, if you started with Christ, this gift of salvation that was free, Ephesians says it's a free gift of grace, there's nothing you can do to earn it, why then are you going back to the law to try to earn your place with God? In verse 4, he hits it home a little bit more. He says, have you suffered so much in vain, if it really was in vain? What's he talking about here? We have to remember the context in the author of the letter. So Paul planted the church in Galatia. You find that in Acts chapter 13, okay? And we see that Paul, in detail, is persecuted because of his faith, because of the, the gospel that he's preaching. He is physically persecuted. So, you guys, it's not a stretch to think when he planted this church in Galatia, modern-day Turkey, do you think the leaders of that church were persecuted as well? I don't think that's a stretch at all. I think they had to have had some persecution in carrying this banner of the gospel of Christ to a world that it was fairly new to. And that's what Paul's referring to. He's saying, have you suffered so much in vain? He's saying, was it all a waste? Because what you're doing is you're preaching the gospel. You're going, around the, you're going out and you're preaching the gospel and you have this church, but now you're, you're starting to preach a new message. You're starting to go back to the law. So was all of that a waste? Was it all of it in vain? Because you're getting away from the message of the gospel. Verse 5, he reinforces this. He says, so again I ask you, parents, you can probably relate. When you ask your kid two and three times, does the intensity go up a little bit each time? Paul is actually saying, so again, I ask you. 
And it's not like a phone conversation. He didn't have back and forth, but he believes this so passionately. He's saying, listen, I'm not letting you off the hook with this. Again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or, it's a rhetorical question, by your believing what you heard. So, we're taking a little bit of time to go through five verses. And again, this was just sentences on a page. But you guys, this is the crux of what he was writing to the Galatians. He's saying, I love you guys so much. And I've heard you guys are starting to get off track because you're starting to try to earn your salvation again through the law. And I'm telling you, you need to get back to the gospel. So then he starts this other sentence. We know it as verse 6. And this is a little bit of a tricky verse. So he says, verse 6, the letter says, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This verse is talking about Abraham from the Old Testament. Book of Genesis, right? Paul just said that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What's it? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at the life of Abraham. And really, we could take a whole series and do this, but I just want to have, give you the highlights. Um, God comes to a guy named Abram, who's later changed, just like Paul. His name was changed to Abraham. God comes to Abram, and Abram's with his wife, his people, he's with his, in his father's house, and God says, get your wife, get your stuff, we're going to go to a new place. So Abram, at that time, says, where, where are we headed? God says, I'll tell you when we get there. Abraham's response was, he goes. So I know it's, it's, it's tempting to skip past this because it's Old Testament and maybe we can't relate. Let's try to relate for a second because God speaks to his people today. We firmly believe that. We've seen that. So what if God came to you and you knew that it was God? It wasn't like one of those questions, was that God or was that a bad burrito? No. This is God. And God comes to you and says, David, Take your family, pack up your stuff, and go. And David's response, because David's a man of God, David would say, okay, where? And God says, I'll tell you when we get there. Here's your direction. Go west, young man. You know how hard that would be? That, that's tough. I mean, that's a man of faith right there, but he, he went. Well, that's not where Abraham's story stops. A few years later, well, a lot of years later, when he is in his 90s, God comes to Abraham again. He says, guess what? You're going to be a dad. Great, right on. Everything's going to be easy from this point. Skip ahead a few years. God says, hey, remember that son I gave you? Remember the son that you were asking me for? I want you to go up on top of a mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. What? I'm, I'm sorry, what? You want me to do what? I want you to go sacrifice your son. So again, Abraham believes God. He gathers up his son. His wife's probably like, where are you guys going? Uh, don't worry about it. Camping trip with the guys. But you might want to say goodbye to your son. So there they are, getting ready to sacrifice his son. God stops him and says, you don't have to do that. There's a ram over there in the bushes. But through all of that, Abraham believes 
That's what Paul's saying here. He's quoting the Old Testament. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is, this is kind of the, the mind-blowing part of the whole thing. Abraham, Old Testament, Abraham was not saved by the law. Let me say that again. Abraham was not saved by the law. How do we know that? Because he was saved. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. That happened 430 years before the law was even given. There was no law to save Abraham. There was no set of rules that might deliver him. God saved him through his faith alone in what was to come. So here's Paul's point. I believe that why Paul referenced that, the solution was given before the problem was even shown. The solution was given before the problem was even shown. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God saved Abraham not by the law, but by faith alone and a grace that was to come in Christ Jesus. So in verse 7, he follows it up and he says, Understand then, still writing to the same group of people, he says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of who? Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that that's who he quoted? Understand then that you and I, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So the old song is right. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. So what? Right arm, left arm, bow your head, get a pop. That's not how it goes. So then you've got these last couple verses here, the last ones that we're going to get to anyway. He says this, verse 8 and 9. He's just unpacking all this stuff for the Galatians, which is so great. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. The gospel that he was going to proclaim in Jesus, with Jesus, everything that Jesus did for you and I, dying on the cross for your and I's sins, that's what he's talking about, the gospel, and he's saying this. He says, he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Many, many years before Christ would even walk the earth, the gospel was presented in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It does not say those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the law keeper. It says Abraham, the man of what? Faith. Before Christ walked the earth, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That alone should have, with the Galatians, they should have said, oh, right, that's a good point. Not even Abraham, not even Abraham did that. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's pointing out that the gospel was preached in advance to Abraham so that what? so that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. You know, I read something this week. I was reading a little bit online, a, a few commentaries from people, and one of the authors said something really interesting about this passage. He says this. He says, 
The law was meant as a diagnostic. The law is not a blessing. Isn't that interesting? The law is a diagnostic. It's not a blessing. So I was, I was reading a little bit more, and the author makes this point. He says, similar to your vehicle, when you're you know, driving along and the check engine light comes on, one of the lights I most fear in life because I know nothing about cars, when that check engine light comes on, what is that telling you? One of two things. I'm smart enough to know this. Either A, something's wrong with your engine, or something's wrong with the light, right? So let's take out the light part of it. Let's just say that that check engine light comes on and you know that there's something wrong with your engine. Well, that check engine light comes on. It doesn't fix your engine, does it? That'd be so nice, believe me. So nice. Whew. The check engine light comes on and there's something wrong with your engine. Similarly, I think this is a great point that the author made. The law serves as a diagnostic. It tells you when you're sick. You know, I think there's some thinking in modern day Christianity that since Christ came, we don't have to pay attention to the Old Testament law. I think that's wrong. I think that's incorrect. Because the thing about the law is that the law shows what God considered important. Okay? He gave it for a reason. And there are still principles in the law for right and holy living. So the law is still important. But what Paul was saying in the letter, and to us today, I believe, is that we are not bound to obey the law to earn God's favor. We can't. We can't. God is so holy, so righteous. He says that all of your good deeds are like filthy rags. Now, let me, let me clarify this a little bit because the other way you could get, the other way the pendulum could swing is you could say, okay, I don't have to keep the law and uh, I live by grace and I live by faith. Right on. So I actually don't have to do anything. Well, the book of James tells us that you guys have probably seen that verse where the book of James says, without faith, how's it say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Very good. And faith without works is dead. You guys are really good. You guys are on it. So we know that, that it's a tension. It's a marriage between faith and and works. But I think the point that Paul was getting to is that Galatians, if you have faith here and works here, we know that today you have to have that balance. Faith without works is dead. But what was happening in Galatia at the time, faith was falling off. And they were trying to earn God's favor in their salvation by works. And Paul was saying, I love you too much to let that happen. So this morning, there's so much in chapter 3, and yeah, we're going to continue talking through the book of Galatians in the weeks to come, but this morning, to really bring these nine verses home, because in a, in a message like this, it's hard, or it's, it's easy to just to get kind of in your head and not really do anything practical, but I think God would have more for us today than that. And what I want to do is, Paul's writing with this really confrontational tone, and he's saying, have you forgotten have you forgotten? And I think what he's saying is, you have forgotten. That's why I'm writing you this letter. And so let's think about that for us today. I think that we can really get into a spot where we forget what Christ has done for us and where we were when Christ found us, and we can just kind of start to work it out on our own. You know, I think there was a stat that I read the other day that I can't remember the, um, the stat, but 
was talking about self-help books. And, you know, there's, say what you will about those, but the self-help books, they are just off the charts because people, as individuals and as a culture, we want to get better, right? We want to grow and we want to progress and we want to be better human beings. And that's why the self-help books are going off the chart. But what Paul is saying is, listen, there is one method. There is one way. You want to be a better person? There's one way that you can do that. And it's what I experienced in 1999 when Christ found me. Boom. Done. Those two things I was trying to quit doing and get out of my personality. Done. And it's a, it's a continual process, you guys. You know that. It's a continual process of sanctification that you get to be more like Christ. But today, I want to just bring this home a little bit. And if Paul was writing a letter saying, have you forgotten? I want to give us just a couple practical suggestions on what we can do so we don't end up where the Galatians were, that we don't end up in that danger zone, that track where we're starting to get away from the gospel. So I'm just going to put a few things up on the screen. A few simple things that if you want to remember, number one, you literal people are going to love this. You remember. If you want to remember, you remember. You remind yourself where you came from. And if, you, uh, if you're into journaling, which I highly recommend, um, ask yourself some of these probing, revealing questions. I put them up on the screen. Where were you when Christ found you? Geographically, physically. How, how did you dress? I mean, just all those things. Where were you when Christ found you? What kind of person were you? Right? What kind of person were you? How old were you when Christ found you? What were your habits? And this is where it starts to reveal who you were. What were your habits? Where did you spend your Friday, your Saturday nights? What were your interests? What were you into? When you get out of school or when you get off work, what did you find yourself doing? And then some big revealers, where did you spend your time? Where did you spend your money? Because that will always reveal what you're into. And then who were the five closest people to you back then? So if you write those, if you journal that, and then the cool thing is, answer that for today. Who are you today? If you're a Christ follower, this is really great because what you can do is you can say, you can compare before and after. You can say, okay, I spend my money on this now. These are my five closest friends. This is who I am. This is my personality. And it just, for me, it just rises up this thank you, Lord, within me. It just rises up so much appreciation because I say, God, you didn't leave me where I was in 1999. You intersected my life. You found me right where I was. And for that, you say, thank you, Lord. And when I do that, there's no part of me that says, I'm going to look through the Old Testament and I'm going to try to fulfill the law on my own. No, when I do that, I say, God, I am a wretched human being. And I'm only alive because you designed me to be. You decided it was okay for me to be alive. You gave me a plan. You gave me a purpose. You gave me a future. You gave me a hope. And that's a really good reminder, you guys. If you do nothing else, do that because that'll, that'll serve as an anchor. A couple other things. Get familiar with the Bible. One author calls this a love letter to God's people. One thing that I really love about the Bible is that um, we could, the reason that, one of the reasons we're doing this series is so that we can dive deep into this letter, so we can see the context, so we can see the intricacies of this, of this letter, because you see a pretty confrontational tone in chapter 3, but the truth of it is, as we've seen, these people needed a confrontational tone, didn't they? They needed something to wake them up because they were in a little bit of a mess. And the thing that I love about just reading through the Bible, we all know 
we're familiar with the highlights, right? We're familiar with Moses parting the sea and all those big stories. But what I like, and I don't know if this is a little bit weird or not, but I like seeing the story that when people, when their shortcomings are revealed. Because what that does to my spirit is that says, okay, I'm not doing so bad. I'm not perfect. This person wasn't perfect either. And these characters become more real to me. You know, we were at a, we were at the Garth Brooks concert last weekend. Yeah, he's still touring. It's pretty cool. And uh, so about midway through the concert, uh, Trisha Yearwood came out, and she was all fancied up, and, you know, she did a couple of her songs, and it was great. And so then she went kind of backstage, understage, and um, so then the concert ended. You know, we were all shouting for an encore and all that. Well, uh, Garth Brooks says, is the queen here? Referring to Trisha Yearwood. Makes him the king, so that's nice. Uh, and so she comes out on stage, and I don't think Miss Yearwood knew that she was coming out on stage because she comes out in like this oversized Carhartt sweatshirt. She had her glasses on. She's in jeans, looking very different than the first time she came out. And uh, it was at that point my wife told me, she's like, I like her so much better now, <laughs> knowing that she's real, knowing that she just kind of walks around backstage in this big Carhartt sweatshirt. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. The heroes of our scripture are the same way. We read all about Abraham, but one of the things I love about Abraham's story is that when they were traveling, there was a king that was very interested in his wife at that time. So Abraham, full of faith, says, okay, I heard that the king is going to try to kill me to get my wife. So he looks at his wife and he says, I got an idea. Let's say that you're my sister and you go spend the night with the king. That's a man of faith. That conversation would not go well today. But that's part of his story. But that doesn't define him. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But that's part of Abraham's story. David, right? Writer of the Psalms, a man after God's own heart. He really liked his best friend's wife. So he slept with her and killed, had his best friend killed. That's David. That's one of David's shortcomings. But the scripture records him as a man after God's own heart. And what that does to me is that says, okay, these guys have shortcoming like everybody else, right? Their story does not end with their shortcomings. These people become real to me. And that's what I love about getting past the highlights in the Bible and actually reading it, getting down deep and reading the Bible, reading the whole thing. Last thing, remind yourself where you came from. Familiarize yourself with the Bible This is probably no surprise, but number three, pursue community. Pursue community. That's an action word. That's a verb. See, I really believe that God designed you and I to be in community. One of the first things he said of man in Genesis was he says, it's not good for man, what? To be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. I pray sincerely for each one of us that we would have those relationships I talked about earlier where we can go beneath the highlight reel right? That we know somebody well enough to go beneath the highlight reel to know that they have something going on and it's a Tuesday, but I'm going to call them anyway because I know this is happening in their life. I don't have to wait till I see them two weeks to ask them. I'm going to call them right now and find out because here's the truth. Those people, the ones that can get below the highlight reel, those are the Pauls in your life. Those are going to be the Pauls in your life that I think we've all been in a spot when we kind of wonder what life is doing to us. 
right? Those are the spots that if we get our perspective off a little bit, those people are going to be the ones that say, you know what, Tyler? Your attitude stinks right now. Who has bewitched you? What's going on? Out of love, but those are the people that are going to be able to say that. Because the other people, like, hey, what's new? You can, you can bluff them all day long. But one of the guys in the group on Wednesday said, you know what I want? This was so good. He says, you know what I want? He says, I want somebody to be able to call me on my BS. I was like, yeah, that's it. That's really it. That's very true. I think that's what we all want. But see, you guys, I realize that our time is like at a premium like never before. A lot of you guys want me to shut up so we can go to lunch. That's valid. That's valid. But with our time at a premium like never before, let me tell you this from personal experience. Every one of those weekdays that we get up at 5 a.m. and go to breakfast, I don't regret a single one of those. I don't regret a single one of those. Because when my time is nearing the end on earth, I want to be able to say that I'm finishing strong, that I'm sharper than ever before, and I want to be able to look at a group of people and say, these are the people that I've walked with for the last 60, 70 years. I'm so glad I didn't sleep in. I'm so glad that I made time for them. And it's a struggle, it is. But you guys, God has designed us that way. And if Paul, with everything he had going on, if Paul took the time to write this letter to a group, I think it would be who of us to do the same thing. Remind yourself where you came from. Familiarize yourself with the Bible, and you guys, pursue community. It is worth it. Can I pray for you? God, thank you so much, Lord. It's so, I just feel honored that we can actually read through one of these letters, Father, of a guy that was on the ground planting churches, loving people, and correcting them, Father. It's just an honor and a privilege to be able to do that, God. It's an honor and privilege to study your word. God, thank you that um, you didn't leave us where we were, Father. Just pray a blessing upon these people today, Father. God, just pray for great conversations, Lord. I pray that you would find us faithful with what you've given us. Thank you so much for that today. Amen. For more information, visit our website at www.mounthelena.cc. Download our mobile app available in iTunes and Google Play. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook.